0: From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It is our weekly podcast. It contains stories and information about the weather and climate, how they interact with our daily lives, and use the information that we gather here to try to help you weatherproof your life to make it easier to get Through the day, especially as it pertains to the weather. I'm Dean DeVore, your host. I've been a meteorologist at AccuWeather and a member of our team for now 23 plus years. And it is certainly my pleasure to be able to host this podcast and build this family of experts, not only from AccuWeather, but around the world. And in the course of this podcast, it's been a pleasure to. Usually talk to one legend, but certainly it is a pleasure to talk to two legendary figures in this podcast when it comes to weather and communication and education. First up, our founder and CEO at AccuWeather, Dr. Joel Myers, joins us with his latest thinking about the weather and COVID and where he sees us going. And then as we take time to commemorate Black History Month here on Everything Under the Sun, Alan Seals, who's become a legendary force in broadcast meteorology and has been an educator and really a trailblazer for this profession and for folks who uh, really are knowing now that uh, he's been certainly leading the way. And he's an amazing man, and I'm really looking forward to talk to him. And I'm also looking forward to our final segment, talking to my friend Dave Samuel, one of our AccuWeather meteorologists. He's an Ace Award winner, and you'll find out why, because he's a really great communicator of what's coming down the road in terms of the future. And we're also going to talk to Dave about how you officially measure snow. He knows, and he's going to tell us. Friends, it's time to talk about everything under the sun. While the massive expanse of wintry weather certainly has a lot of people's spirits down in the country, One uplifting note has been the vast reduction in the daily cases reported in the COVID-19 virus. We're seeing those uh, rates drop dramatically, and it is no surprise to our first guest founder and CEO of AccuWeather.com, Dr. Joel Myers, who's been talking about this kind of seasonality issue and talking about uh, what things would be like since he first appeared when we resumed the podcast focusing on COVID back last March. It is again my pleasure to welcome the founder and CEO of AccuWeather, Dr. Joel Myers, to Everything Under the Sun. Joe, welcome back. It has been uh, a few weeks since we've had you on, and I really wanted to take some time and and talk to you because uh, going back and looking as the way we've talked about this uh, COVID-19 with you through the lifespan of the pandemic, you've really been hitting on the trends and the themes that you saw in the likelihood of the way this would play out. And you were been really talking about the the weather aspect of it, not necessarily temperature or humidity or things like that. It was the amount of solar energy, right? That was key to you to thinking that there would be a pretty big spike as we got into the heart of solar winter. And now as we're coming at the beginning of solar spring, we're getting more and more sunshine intensity and more ultraviolet radiation and intensity to the atmosphere here in the uh, in the northern hemisphere, and also with the vaccine situation, we're seeing a dramatic decrease now in the uh, in the virus in terms of how it's spreading, and and we're seeing some hope now. So I think you should pat yourself on the back. I mean, you've been thinking these thoughts, and they're coming true here as we're looking at these numbers.
2: Well, thanks, Dave. Yeah. What I relied on in, in making the forecast that uh, back in the spring and even in the summer as we had the first wave and then uh, looked like we were making real progress is that uh, we still were going to face uh, a, a terrible winter. You know, looked hopeful that the numbers were trending down. Then we got that second peak that was bigger than the first one. Uh, and then it was trending down again as we got into fall. But then it really took off. And, uh, Of course, we had the peak, I think it was January 8th on that one day, 312,000 new cases in the United States, an all-time peak. And it's been dropping rapidly since then. We're down to 80,000 new cases a day, and it will continue to fall rapidly. And so my prediction is uh, quite optimistic now going forward. I'll tell you why. Uh, As I had explained as early as uh, last spring, Soon after the corona began, uh, you know, the lockdown started in March and April, uh, I was able to make this forecast because what, what a lot of people don't realize, and it's, it's more climate than weather, because of the tilt of the axis, the amount of uh, sunlight reaching the surface, let's say the latitude of New York, Chicago, Washington, Oregon, across the country, I'll just take that latitude, is 10 to 1 from December 21st to June 21st. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in New York, the day, the daylight's nine hours on December 21st, and the sun's intensity is low because the sun is low in the sky because of the tilt of the axis. On June 21st, the day's 15 hours long, nine hours to 15 hours. Obviously, the average is 12. Its average is 12 if you average it for the whole year everywhere on, on the planet. but. And the summer, the sun is higher in the sky, so the sun shines more direct. And when you add all these things together, or multiply them together, rather, really, you have a 10 to 1 ratio. And we know that ultraviolet radiation kills viruses. And so there's less virus around. And also people are more susceptible in the wintertime to respiratory and any kind of, their immune system is lower. And so they're more susceptible to anything. So adding all these things together And looking at the effect of uh, solar energy and seasonality uh, on the 1918 Spanish flu, that's why I was able to make this prediction that was was pretty accurate.
0: Well, Joel, as you've taught us over the years in forecasting, you can't sit on your laurels when you're uh, creating and talking about the future. So we've got positive news going on, certainly, as we've been talking about, and There is brighter future. I guess uh, I'd like to get your take on what you think we are going to see going forward in the next few months. As we get into spring and get into summer, are things going to start returning to normal?
2: Uh, Going forward, that's what everybody in the prediction business always wants. Okay, so much for that prediction. Why, Why are you going to be right in the future? And what are you looking for? Well, I'm very optimistic now. Obviously, the vaccine is doing a lot to cause that optimism we estimate the official numbers show 27 million people have had COVID in the United States out of a population of about 335 million. That's not very many. That's less than 10%. But those numbers probably way under count. We know that younger people may have had it, but no symptoms or few symptoms. So the experts estimate that Uh, More than twice the official numbers or the real numbers are how many people have had COVID. So let's say it's 70 million. Uh, 70 million people have had it, let's say. So if that's the case and we've had 55 million who've received their first shot, and by the way, you're not safe after your first shot. With the uh, Pfizer vaccine, in fact, you have no protection for the first 14 days after the first shot. And then the protection begins and it ramps up from the 14th to the 21st day. And they estimated you have 52% of protection on the 21st day when you get your second shot. And then, of course, a week to 10 days after the second shot, then you're at 95%. You have to be still cautious even after and through the second shot. But uh, we have 55 million people in the United States have gotten the first shot. The second should be you know, already occurring and, and right behind. And now we're uh, inoculating two and a half million people a day, and hopefully we'll be able to continue that. Well, two and a half million times 30, obviously that's 75 million people in a month. So if we've had seventy people, who, 70 million people have already had it, we have 55 million people have gotten the uh, first vaccine shot. In another month, we'll have another 75 million. That adds up to 200 million people. In 60 days, we'll be up to 275 million people out of 330, and that's about 80%. So 80% of the population in 60 days will have had either the first vaccine or will have had COVID, and as a result, have reasonable degree of immunity. So I'm very optimistic that things will quickly, for the United States, return to a state of almost normal, in a matter of three months. Now it, now it's gonna be a question of people's attitude, people adjusting. Everybody says, oh, they can't wait for it to be over. But people are creatures of habit. People have gotten comfortable, some people, believe it or not, in the current environment. And now they're gonna to have to change again. So it'll never go back to exactly the way it was. It's gonna be another adjustment. But in terms of COVID, the threat in the United States, is really in three months from now, we still have to wear a mask in certain situations. Everybody won't be totally uh, uh, protected, but we're, we're gonna be in great shape. And in some of the other wealthy countries as well, the UK, Israel, for example, both of those countries are doing as well or better in the United States. A few of the other small uh, Middle Eastern countries, the wealthy Middle Eastern countries that have small populations. But there are other parts of the world where the vaccines that are being given are of questionable value.
0: Yeah, it's uh, there's some things I want to get into and some questions is, uh, uh, so, you know, someone I respect and people's opinion uh, respects a couple of things. One is, is there any concern to you, Joel, as we've gone through this process? I know, you know, that number we looked at is cases confirmed in the uh, upper 20 million. And then we're supposing there's, at least 50, 60 that have already had it. Should there be more work done on figuring out those of us who may have already had it and what that antibody situation is going forward? Do you think that's, you know, now that we seem to have the the job done with the vaccine itself, should we go backwards a little bit and make sure that we're kind of seeing the whole picture? It's kind of like, to me, forecasting the weather without having all the data in front of you.
2: Well, certainly we weren't prepared for the pandemic. Humans have a, uh, a natural ability to not deal well with threats until they're facing them squarely in the face. I've lived this my whole life, you know, in, in, in weather prediction and warnings. And that's one of the advantages AccuWeather's had is we've approached it from that standpoint and we're ready to pivot to, get, to spread the alarm when there's a true threat. And, and a lot of people fall into a comfort zone well, that's their charge, if there are not uh, threats, you know, the, when one appears, they move too slowly to do so. And I think there's no question that we were not prepared for this pandemic. And the more data we gather, uh, the better. And you're right, the uh, lack of information and knowledge and understanding about the antibodies, you know, how many people can get it a second time, why, who gets it, what's their blood type, what are the factors that may play into that there's a lot of data. Part of the problem is uh, the privacy laws, which uh, we have to figure that out. Privacy is important. But and and naturally in the United States, uh, you know, we value our freedoms. We value our privacy. And that's important. On the other hand, medical science to some degree is being hampered by this privacy information. We couldn't even for a long time find out who was dying, really, get the statistics on the age, and, and some of the information would have been helpful in, in the early months. So we need to come to grips with that. We need to be ready for the next pandemic. And yes, we need to do research. But let's face it, science is incredible. Some politicians throw around, we gotta follow the science and then they don't. You know, you gotta distinguish between what is real science and what is, is not. But let's face it, this was an amazing, an amazing breakthrough <clears throat> and progress You remember, some people said when the corona hit, we won't have a vaccine for three to five years.
0: Three to five, yeah. It's
2: impossible. Well, it's been less than a year since the shutdown. And we have 55 million people in the United States already inoculated. I mean, there was no vaccine ever developed for the 1918 flu. That was 102 years ago. Okay, we only had the polio vaccine in the 1950s and so on. Science has made amazing progress and uh, has brought us, and and I'll, in my view, science, in a capitalistic environment where the people and the companies that make the progress and and achieve the victories uh, gain some of the spoils of that and are rewarded for it. And that's why the United States is a leader. Now you can argue we were slow to uh, do certain things and, and nobody can argue with that. But when push comes to shove, The countries that are going to have the highest and have the highest protection against the disease, Israel, the UK, the United States, these are the leaders in technology and with a capitalistic democratic system and and institutions.
0: One thing you mentioned about the vaccine is obviously in these uh, richer countries that we're we're getting the quality vaccine. There's been some question about the availability of vaccine to other parts of the world. I know we had the announcement this past week of the approval by the WHO of the AstraZeneca vaccine for some of these less uh, established countries. And so there is some hope there. Uh, Certainly, uh, those are the kinds of things that we want. You know, we can get as many countries, you know, the, the richer countries protected more quickly. But we need to get the whole world protected, Joel, if we're going to ever get try to get back to some normalcy and travel and those kinds of things.
2: Absolutely. I mean, we need to wipe this thing out globally. You know, and if I could snap my finger and have that happen, uh, I I would do it. Any of us would do it. But we hope these uh, other vaccines uh, are effective. There are a lot of different approaches. I mean, in some of the countries, supposedly, like in Russia, anybody who wants a vaccine can get it but none of us know the quality of the Russian vaccine. Clearly, in less developed societies, there may be, there may be no place to go to get it. People don't, are not you know, used to that type of thing. So there are a lot of uncertainties. And the estimates even now are, it may be two to three years until this thing is eradicated till we get to every nook and cranny and, and get the vaccines in those places. And you're right, until, that occurs, there will be outbreaks and then could come back to the United States. And we don't know how long, even after you get the vaccine, you're protected, you know, or for how long you, you don't have to worry about it. A lot of unknowns still, and also these variations. Right. Uh, does the vaccine work against some of the mutations? A lot of questions still to be answered.
0: I also think, Joel, that there's some discussions that we start to need to start to have as a as a society especially in this country in terms of some of the way that the virus uh, affected our country and to me some of that goes to the overall health of our country in the United States with the uh, comorbidity issues of you know people having worse Scenarios with it because of other factors and a lot of its weight and their overall health. And then uh, another discussion has to be the way we handle uh, older people in our society. Uh, other countries that don't uh, have as many homes and older age communities had a different scenario with the older population in this virus than our country did so uh, do you also see some of those things that need to emerge as conversations as a society of how as a country we can get better healthy to prevent having these issues going forward when we are hit with things that we don't know about and are, have to ramp up quickly in terms of fighting viruses and diseases
2: well there's no question that a uh, diet and food and exercise and healthy living is important to Longevity is important in order to live the healthiest life you can, to not smoke, and uh, to do things that give you a greater quality of life. It's still amazing uh, how little is known about food. People buy food, packaged food, and, and they don't read labels. They don't understand some of the stuff that's in the labels. And and uh, that's all important because there's a lot of junk in some of the food and it's not what it appears to be or not how it's labeled on the outside. Right. It's healthy this or healthy that. There's no question that obesity is a major problem in the United States. There are other health problems in the United States that have exacerbated this. And you write about retirement communities. Uh, many countries only have any of them. Right. Uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, older people in the family live with uh, with right. the kids.
0: Yeah, I was going to uh, mention uh, my partner, Joel, from Puerto Rico. I mean, they don't have homes. The home is a little casita or an apartment where the 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 grandparents are checked on regularly. That's the way they deal with it in those communities.
2: Yeah, so we got to do better. Uh, it, some people in these retirement communities pay a lot of money and they don't get, you know, we've seen the flaws of it here. But in the end, the best we can do is people need to take more responsibility and we need to hold uh, the food uh, industry more uh, responsible for the packaging and labeling. You know, you may not know it, but I worked with Representative Klinger, who was a representative from Central Pennsylvania in Congress in the early 1990s. At yeah. my suggestion, he introduced and got passed a bill to begin the labeling of foods. There was nothing on the packages before of what the contents were. Now they still get around it because uh, sometimes they'll have sugar second and corn syrup third but if you add that's just so sugar or corn syrup would right. not be number 1 so right. uh, you still got to read between the lines so there was a hidden fact for you but no it, there's no question we need to do a better job of, of living healthier and then there're questions why I have a question why should a smoker get in front of someone else who's who's been responsible and doing everything they can to keep themselves healthy. So you have a
0: in terms of getting the vaccine, right?
2: For the vaccine, yeah. Right. I'm sorry. So you have yeah. a 90-year-old person uh that's lived and is healthy and, and robust. And then you have somebody who's eighty-two who's a smoker that gets in front of that person just simply because they smoke for the vaccine. I I uh, I think that needs to be debated a bit more. Uh we don't want to be rewarding. Unhealthy behavior because it's a cost to all of us.
0: Um, I want to uh, appreciate uh, again when we'll, we'll check in as we go later on as we get into the spring on this with you on that aspect. Uh, I also, before we uh, run out of time here, uh, want to talk about this incredible weather we've been having. And, you know, and not only do you have experience in looking at the, these kinds of things, but you've uh, certainly seen a lifetime of weather. Uh, Just amazing cold air this late in the season, all the way down to Texas, and the problems that we've been seeing there. And this just prolonged cold, uh, uh, an amazing weather pattern, uh, Joel, that uh, we haven't seen for a long time. Uh, Maybe your comments on what you've seen here in the last couple of weeks across the lower 48.
2: Well, indeed, there's no question that the last three weeks have been one of the stormiest periods, most active periods of weather uh, across the country, particularly the Midwest into the uh, the Northeast that uh, we've seen in decades, and it's interesting how the weather evens out. Uh, you may the, the beginning of the winter, except for that big snowstorm, was relatively mild. All in right,
0: fact, uh, January fall was, through the first half of January, some places five six degrees above normal, and you didn't think that we were going to have any winter in some places.
2: Well, uh, I was not among them because the weather always tends to even out. I've seen it flip many many times. You know, if you look at any thirty year period. And compare them going back hundreds of years with the, the average temperature and so on. I'm sure the trend is, is of temperatures are slightly up as as the uh, world warms. But it's amazing the uh, the amount of snow, the amount of rain, even the temperature, except for a couple tenths of a degree. Any 30 year period has almost the ex- exact same numbers, so it evens out. Now you get a couple years of mild winters, a couple years of very snowy winters. It was just uh, within the last ten years the snowiest winter ever seen since Europeans arrived on the continent, in Philadelphia. And so it, it varies, and it's inter- that's the fascination of the weather. The cold wave that hit uh, Texas obviously drove right straight south.
0: Mm. It just was a bowling ball that came right all the direct discharge right all the way.
2: So it didn't spread east. There was no threat to Florida. Uh, you know, while well, really was decimated the orange crop in the lower Rio Grande Valley. Many times when that happened, it's also a threat to the Florida orange grows, but not this time because the pattern, you know, its there are no record lows expected in the east. It's not even extraordinary. We're not even going to go uh, to zero in many of the northeastern places. So it went straight south and petered out. But while uh, in process of doing, we're setting, what, record lows in Houston, I think three nights three nights having all-time, you know, record lows for those dates, and the temperature got within a few degrees in Houston of the lowest ever seen there. I think it got to 11 or 12, and the lowest was five in 1930. So uh, no question, uh, you know, havoc in uh, Texas and in the center of the country, but the the whole weather pattern has been extremely active, very interesting, and challenging, and that's... uh, uh, but AccuWeather has been shining through it and doing a great job of forecasting. I'm gratified to our meteorologists who have again demonstrated why we claim at superior accuracy and why the statistics show that AccuWeather is the most accurate source of weather forecasts on warnings.
0: Well, I know we've been working hard, Joel, and, uh, and I know you that appreciation comes from you and the, and the management team, and uh, we certainly appreciate that. Anything else you want to add here before we wrap up our time as we uh, start to see winter uh, getting closer into our rearview mirror? I think we're all ready to get into spring here in the next few weeks.
2: Certainly gratified by the record traffic to our uh, AccuWeather.com uh, desktop and mobile sites and on our apps and our number one ranking. That uh, we've received again on the uh, on the AccuWeather apps, users are uh, demonstrating with their fingers to uh, come to AccuWeather, downloading our app, using uh, our information because they believe it, they rely on it. Our job, of course, is to do the best we can to keep our users better informed and making better decisions than they can with any other source of weather forecasts and weather warnings and uh, just so all users know, we're dedicated to that every minute of every day, and we take it very seriously.
0: Truly are. Joel, thank you for your time today. I look forward to talking to you again soon, my friend.
2: You're very welcome. Have a great day.
0: I think one of the things that uh, those of us who have worked at AccuWeather for so long really do appreciate is I know Joel and the executive team appreciates all the hard and work and diligence that our hundreds of team members uh, continue to do in these uh, unprecedented times with the weather and just been how crazy it has been over the last several weeks. But again, this is what we do and this is why we do it. And uh, we're certainly working hard. Uh, If you haven't downloaded or, Updated your AccuWeather app lately You really need to because it's winning All kinds of accolades and awards And certainly as we go through the next Several weeks of very active weather You will continue to want to rely On it and AccuWeather.com And our AccuWeather network and all our great partners When we get to the end of the podcast Our final segment we will revisit The weather again with Dave Samuel One of our long range forecasters And great communicators of uh, AccuWeather here we're going to talk about The weather for this upcoming week weekend and the week ahead and just where we stand and you know kind of also get on the themes of how we may see a little bit of a hangover of winter into spring in some of these areas that have been hit so hard at least we're going to see some better things for texas and the south as they kind of recover from this winter blast when we come back to everything under the sun it is going to be my pleasure to welcome another legend in his field and a gentleman who has paved the way for others. We are going to commemorate Black History Month by talking to a gentleman who is an amazing weather communicator. Alan Seals joins me next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. And we welcome you back into Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore, your host. And again, it's been um, an amazing treat to talk to Dr. Joel Myers, our founder and CEO in that first segment, and now switch gears and be able to talk to another legendary figure, truly honest in this business. And, you know, I think um, I got to know about him over the years, and some of that had to do with uh, my affinity for the Gulf Coast because I have family down there and then just also over the last couple of years as uh, AccuWeather has commemorated uh, Black History Month um, we've done a few stories on this gentleman and I really wanted to take time to get to know him a little bit better because finding out as I've learned more about him that there's some things we really truly share in common including playing an instrument as we were younger so I wanted to bring into the Broadcast today of Alan Seals. He's won 11 regional Emmy Awards. He has been voted the best meteorologist in Mobile, Alabama five years in a row. He's won AMS Awards for broadcast meteorology back in 2019. He was the president of the National Weather Association. Uh, He's been also uh, an amazing educator, uh, teaching a course at Florida State. He went to school at Cornell for broadcast meteorology and then did a, a master's degree at Florida State. He's been on television. He's been informing and entertaining audiences and really educating everybody about the weather and certainly has paved the way for dozens to do what they love to do. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Everything Under the Sun, Alan Seals. So Alan, I'm really excited to uh, welcome you in as we commemorate uh, Black History Month because uh, you and I have a lot in common. One thing is we played the trumpet when we were younger. I was a member of the Penn State Marching Blue Band when I was going to school. And this is before I really had true aspirations to be a meteorologist. That kind of came at me later on in life. I-, I did do some like reports for my fourth grade weather class and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Once I got into media and had done enough that realized that my calling is my passion, my passion is my calling, and I think uh, that's what we're here to celebrate. How good a trumpet player were you, Alan? (laughs) Because I was Uh, okay.
3: Let's let's just say if if there were a fifth trumpet, I would have been sixth trumpet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't play the high notes? I I was always... (laughs) I, I like, and I was always a second uh, trumpet. So I always, but I so so whenever I sing anything, I always sing the harmony, like right? The melody. So yeah, um, you know, we we've done a story on you on AccuWeather.com. dot com. We have uh, highlighted you on our network over the years. Your work is amazing. You're, you're stationed in Mobile and that's a little special to me too, because, uh, I have family across the state line there in uh, Ocean Springs, mm-hmm. Mississippi. Uh, my brother went to Keys, uh, was stationed at Keysler for almost 12 years. And so mm-hmm. I have a nephew who has a family that still lives in Ocean Springs. Obviously, o- over the last decades, uh, a place that has been extremely hard hit, you know, uh, with hurricanes and problems. You captured everyone's fancy uh, just a few years ago. We, we just talked about that before we got into the interview, uh, Reddit and that, that kind of thing. When you look at the success and the notoriety that you've achieved uh, lately, and then you look back at the struggles as you started this in the 80s, where do you kind of go with that in your mind? Is it, well, I worked hard and I'm finally getting where I need to
3: be and getting the the, the reaction? Uh, it, it's an amazing thing. Uh especially with COVID, we all have a lot. Well, many of us have a lot more free time since I don't do as many school visits, for example. So you become a little more introspective. And my my thought is, how did I get here? Even though when I got into the business uh over 34 years ago, it was my goal to get to a big market, to broadcast all different types of weather. And I've done that. But still, it's amazing to look back at what I've done and What's hard is separating me as a human being from me as the guy on TV, because everyone else gets to sit at home, kick their feet up, turn on the TV and watch me or pull out their device and watch me, go to YouTube and watch mm-hmm. me. But when I go home, I'm not on. So I can't watch me and hear the spontaneity and follow what I'm saying. So it, it's really hard to separate myself from how other people see me. Uh, it's It's been an awesome career. It still is. And like all careers, there are definitely struggles, roadblocks, and I would say most of my roadblocks and struggles have been with managers, not over race or anything else other than their style versus my style, mm. and their preference for how we cover weather versus how I want to cover weather. And it's basically job politics has been my biggest uh, obstacle.
0: I've seen that. Um, you know, when you're told as a radio guy to do a, a 20 second forecast with 10 seconds of intro and outro, how can you really be talking about the weather? I mean, they want the weather content, but yet they don't want the explanation. And that's, that's hard, uh, for us that have to do that. Do you feel Alan, that's coming around a bit? I almost feel like we're going back the other way. And I think COVID has something to do with that. I think intrinsically people have gone back to a more uh, trying to figure out the weather on a daily basis. And I think that helps our situation about having more time. I'm actually getting more time now on some right. radio stations to explain situations now. So right. maybe maybe we're seeing the pendulum go back in that regard.
3: Well, there's no doubt. It's uh, it's cyclical. And for folks outside of the communications industry, we we have bosses, we have corporate owners, and we have oftentimes consultants and coaches who all tell us what the national trends are, how we should be doing things. And oftentimes it's not bad, but many times what we are told to do is based on a national survey, a national standard. For example, boy, uh, in my market, in Mobile for tornadoes, I I guess the national perspective is springtime is tornado time. And that's true. But in Mobile, it's spring, fall, winter, and sometimes summer. And our typical tornado is an EF0, EF1 versus the perception that people have of, oh, it's going to be a, a powerful one that's going to tear my house down. And what's really fascinating, I did a a little article on our website in Mobile County, southern Alabama, on the coast. The last time somebody was killed by a tornado was, I think, 1995. Wow, so that's, gone,
0: that's that's kind of shocking. With, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, to 20, 25 plus years now.
3: And that's simply because our tornadoes are very weak and brief. Fortunately, the Gulf of Mexico seems to buffer us, uh, but that's not always the case. Uh, but back to what we were talking about with uh, managers and direction. Um, I I always struggle because we went through a cycle where managers and consultants said nobody wants to see cold fronts and warm fronts. People don't want to hear about dew points and all that kind of stuff. And the problem, honestly, in my judgment, is a lot of weather broadcasters in the 80s and 90s talk to the viewer as though the viewer were a fellow meteorologist Mm. instead of having a conversation, making Mm. it make sense. So I I, I like to think that I've always been able to do that, to break it down to what does that mean and answer the question before people ask. And this uh, last couple of days was a perfect example. I heard there was a term thrown around our market that most people in our market had never heard. Even though it's common elsewhere, the term is black ice. So I had to take the time to explain what that is and why it's called that, because especially during Black History Month, people are hypersensitive to hearing the word black. And and is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Well, no, it's a weather thing. And I had to make that clear.
0: i run into markets that I uh, have gotten on here and, and, you know, things that we say up in the Northeast, the, the worst snow squalls. I mean, yeah. when I first said that in St. Louis, they were like, what's that? What's a <laughs> snow squall? And I'm like, well, it's a really strong, heavy band of snow that comes through and can create whiteout conditions. Oh, you mean a snow shower? No. Well, yeah, but it, it's a little bit worse than that. But that that's an interesting take. And And I guess let's Let's talk about that because you've gone through your life being the first African American mm-hmm. on this station, that station, first African American to be in charge of the National uh, Weather Association. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in, in a in a situation where a career of first in that regard, um, that responsibility to pave the way, I, I don't think to me from watching and listening and being or you know, around you through social media and stuff. I don't think you take that to be something that is more than it just happened to be. And I'm going to be Alan Seals and I'm going to do the best job that I can and everything else takes care of itself. And the best thing that I can do as Alan Seals is explain the weather to those people who are watching and listening to me.
3: Yeah, that you said it very simply. I, I love weather. Uh, it's fascinating. The older I get, the more I love it. And what I love about communicating weather is it it does it has nothing to do with what you are, who you are, how people see you. If it's cold, you're cold. if it's a tornado, you're taking shelter. If it's a hurricane, you're you're at risk um, And growing up, I, I had an awesome upbringing in the suburbs of New York City. very diverse schools, uh, community teachers, And folks who are New Yorkers know that uh, race is no big deal. Uh, As kids, you joke about it. You tease people about it. You learn to develop a thick skin as you must. So it was never an issue. And I knew, of course, what I'd be getting into as a meteorologist. I did my research as a high school student in the late 70s going into the 80s. I did the research on the profession. So I knew that it would be a, a road where I was going to be one of the few and one of the only ones. And it was and, and still is at, at multiple levels. What's awesome is when I interact with colleagues and the public, race is not an issue. People take me for who I am, what I am, and how I deliver and share my passion and weather.
0: House teaching? Are you still teaching as much as you were? I know uh, what you were teaching for Florida State for a while or, or do you, and, and also doing some stuff down at uh, University of South Alabama. I know that uh, school really well as well.
3: Yep. Still teaching uh, uh, introduction to meteoro- uh, TV meteorology only in the spring semester. And I've been doing it for the last 20 years, which I, I get a big kick out of it and get a kick out of seeing my students succeed in life, whether they go into TV or not. And then, really, just looking at how many of my students are on TV around the country, and they're loving what they do, so that that's awesome.
0: And then that has to be rewarding because, I mean, you you talk about how you know early on you would go to conferences, you'd like to sit up front to be, uh, you know, make sure that you were getting all the information uh, and and not getting distracted. But then at some point you'd turn around and there weren't many people like you. and But that's changing. And uh, and for those of us here at AccuWeather that get to deal with the Penn State students, we're seeing more diversity in the, the students. The thing that's concerning, though, is that the field of meteorology seems like uh, for people power getting a little bit less and less in terms of how many people have the opportunity to work in the field. So you have to work a little harder now, I think, to stand out in whatever you want to do. And but I still think there's room in this field, in the broadcast meteorology department. That's something that I think people are always going to want to know exactly what the, and add the context, right? That's that's the biggest thing as meteorologists in TV or radio that we can do, add the context to mm-hmm. the facts, right?
3: Right. And then a, a lot of young folks, I, I tell them, as you said, broadcasting will go on forever in some form or another. It won't be the big TV on the wall all the time, but. We, we do forecast, as you know, uh, radio, uh, Internet, gas station pumps, elevators, billboards, sporting events. So that that will always continue. The forecasting will continue in behind the scenes. Uh, we need folks who can model weather data, folks who can make weather apps, folks who can do weather widgets for websites. And then the whole. Portion of meteorology that the public never sees, which is forecasting for companies, industry, governments. It, it's the profession is strong, and where I teach at uh, University of South Alabama, we have a high placement rate of our graduates, whether they go into broadcast meteorology or uh, traditional meteorology,
0: operational so, meteorology. Yeah, right?
3: operational. Thank you. There is. It's, a, it's okay. There, there definitely is. A, we, we need good people. <laughs>
0: We do. And we're getting them. Anything else you want to talk about? I'm going to leave the floor open to you.
3: Yeah, just to tag on what you said about communicating. The course I teach, even though it's about learning how to stand in front of a green wall and Hmm. point and talk about the weather, the skill, I I tell all the students, it, it follows you through life. Because if you become a forecaster in the Air Force, and you have to brief your commander before a mission, You've got to stand up. You have to be confident. You have to break down the jargon and make it simple for the commander to understand. So uh, communication in all industries is so critical. We, We just we've gone through this with COVID. We're still going through it where the public hears a bit of information and then the information changes and the public says, well, why did that change? How come you didn't tell me? How come you didn't know? So for everyone in life, for me, my example, of uh, my standards of broadcasting are the same as if I go to a mechanic or my doctor, I want you to break it down and make it make sense to me. So I'm constantly trying to step out of my thought process as a meteorologist and listen to myself as I talk and explain those words that people don't get. But I I have a good time. I try to make it fun,
0: too. I think we have to because, I mean, (laughs) especially in this weather pattern for us in the east here, uh, this constant onslaught. And obviously, with everything, we have to have a little humor with it, too. Alan, I appreciate spending time with you. Um, Congratulations on everything. And I look forward uh, maybe we can check in together again about other things uh, as we get closer to hurricane season down on the, the Gulf Coast. We can check in with each other.
3: Certainly. And thank you.
0: You can learn more about Alan in a very great article by Adriana Navarro, one of our uh, writers at AccuWeather.com, by going to AccuWeather.com and just uh, putting in his name, Alan, A-L-A-N, and his last name, Seals, has two L's, S-E-A-L-L-S. Uh, You could go to the website of uh, the TV station, WPMI, that he works for. It's mynbc15.com. Or you could uh, follow him on Twitter at Alan Seals. Again, A-L-A-N-S-E-A-L-L-S at Alan Seals on Twitter. When we come back, we're going to talk about the weather again in terms of where we're going here through this weekend and beyond. And, Also, uh, we're going to take a little lesson in how you actually measure snow officially with our friend and AccuWeather meteorologist, Dave Samuel. That's up next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com.
3: Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather. Just subscribe to Weather Insider On your favorite podcast
0: platforms today. And welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. This is AccuWeather Meteorologist Dean DeVore on this special edition where we talk to uh, our CEO and founder, Dr. Joel Myers. Uh, Amazing uh, talk with Alan Seals uh, in terms of celebrating Black History Month. And here in our last segment, which we always do, is we check the weather. As this podcast drops at the beginning of the weekend for this immediate weekend and the week beyond, and I've enlisted one of my friends and one of our uh, colleagues here, AccuWeather meteorologist and ACE award winner just about uh, a month ago. One of the great folks who uh, got one of the great ACE awards that we give out at AccuWeather for uh, just an amazing job that he's been doing. And, you know, just, uh, well, we'll say it's Dave Samuel is joining us. Dave, good to talk to you here this morning.
1: Hey, Dean, good. Glad to be on here.
0: Uh, or afternoon, or whenever everybody's listening yeah. to this, right? We're talking. Uh, uh, so, congratulations on the award. I mean, um, you are such a, a, a multi-talented person in the office. So, uh, Dave's one of the fill-ins for me on the radio at times, especially Morning Drive. And then uh, now he's really kind of taken hold and part of our long-range team with Paul Pastelock. So, and 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 really uh, diving down into that information and getting it to our customers, especially our business customers. So. You know, Dave, we're looking here at this pattern, and I think a lot of us are ready to cry uncle as we're still seeing this snow storm situation go up the eastern seaboard here as we get into Friday and finally gets out over our hair on Saturday. Um you know, that bowling ball of Arctic air that plunged down into Texas and uh, talked with Joel a little bit about that in the first segment. And, you know, in his perspective of the weather is like 70 years or so. So it's been something that uh, was pretty amazing for him to see, especially with the way that all played out, Dave. If you, Let's just kind of before we go ahead, talk about it. It was amazing to me that 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 cold polar air just went all the way down to Texas and it didn't spread as far eastward as maybe you would think in these scenarios. Now, is that because it's February or is that part of the overall pattern?
1: So, yeah, basically just everything like the atmosphere had dumped down into the southern plains, Um, uh, the setup where the blocking was, it really kind of just forced that air uh, due south instead of letting it spread out. But that also helped compound things for where it hit. That came full force, obviously, into Texas. And uh, this cold air mass, we could trace it back. It was extending across most of Canada into Alaska and even into Siberia. It really was covering a huge area of real estate, and it got funneled straight down into Texas. So that's why I think really what uh, helped bring it to the the magnitude that we saw. Uh, And of course, there was a lot of snow out in front of it. So it had a nice blanket of snow uh, the whole way down. And um, that really just, I think, kept it from moderating. And it was just incredible what it did and what it still continues to do.
0: Proving once again that it's so hard to really, once we have these uh, sudden stratospheric warmups and the shift of the polar vortex, sometimes it's really hard to know exactly where this stuff is going to be aimed. I mean, we kind of figured that the first big aim was at Europe and that occurred. There are a lot of, uh, you know, models and indications that the big aim was going to be into the Northeast for a lot of these polar blasts. But again, it was more aimed at the middle of the country. So, You know, again, we're going to be learning more and more about these events and how to forecast them better. But the biggest thing we can say is when you have those kinds of things, you know, you just got to be prepared. And then as forecasters, we seem to be just have to be able to scramble and kind of get ahead of it here uh, over the days as we see these things unfold.
1: Yeah, it's amazing, even in a climate where we seem like, you know, we're just setting warm records left and right. It's amazing to still be blasting some records that are 100 years old out of the water with the cold air. And, yeah, like you said, I mean, that's we know when a a sudden stratospheric warming event occurs, it is going to dislodge that uh, Arctic air southward. It is hard to pinpoint exactly where uh, until you're closer. But we can uh, give the idea like even a a month in advance that, you know, look, there's probably going to be a serious cold outbreak. Not sure exactly when, but. Um, It could have, obviously, extreme impacts, which this one certainly did.
0: Okay, so let's talk about now as we go ahead, as this uh, kind of double-barreled system pulls up along the eastern seaboard as we go through the day on Friday. I mean, looking at this, there's still some concern as we go through the day Friday, there's lingering effects, uh, maybe a little longer than we had initially thought. So New York up to Boston, I mean, there's probably precipitation in New York, probably at least into the midday, if not the afternoon. And then Boston, as we go through the Friday, probably into the evening. And so, you know, it's not going to be a ton of snow, but it's just going to continue to be this impact as we get In those areas into the beginning of the weekend, the good news is it looks like at least for a couple of days, the eastern seaboard and the major cities along the I-95 corridor do uh, dry out for a couple
1: of days. Yeah, it's just a big trough driving this whole storm. We're just getting piece number one uh, here earlier in the day on Thursday. And it's going to take its time for that trough to work through. So low pressure is going to reform offshore. And yeah, like you said, keep things pretty unsettled uh, Friday across the northeast. But this weekend should see a lot of improvement. That trough should kick out or at least push some drier air into the 95 quarter. Should get the sun out. It's going to be chilly, but it uh, should be a pretty sunny weekend at least. So I think something to look forward to.
0: Agreed. And then later on in the weekend, we may have to watch something in the middle of the country uh, coming up. It looks like this uh, thing, uh, more of a northerly storm track with the maybe Chicago and parts of the upper Midwest getting a little bit of snow on Sunday. And then that some of that may extend Sunday, Sunday night up into interior parts of the Northeast. I think... In at least the way I look at it. But again, when we record this and drop this Friday morning, this is meant to be kind of a primer. You're supposed to go down and dig deep on AccuWeather.com and our AccuWeather app for the latest forecast. But I think this snow that we're kind of hinting at for later Sunday to Monday stays away from the I-95 corridor, maybe a little light stuff in the interior parts of the Northeast uh, as we start the week next week.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting little feature. It's going to do a few things. It's smaller in size. uh, uh, It's a shortwave trough, smaller, so it's going to swing through quickly. But I think this is also helping to scour out the Arctic air. As this piece moves across the country, I think it's really going to help moderate things. It's going to pull in a lot of mild Pacific air. So, yes, it can bring snow, but it doesn't look like it'll be a multi day event like we're dealing with. And plus, it should be followed uh, by a nice warm up across most of the country, especially the South.
0: Right, especially the South. I think as we get into next week, uh, the poor folks in Texas are starting to start to get milder and over into the Southeast. What we see is what we call zonal flow. It gets more zonal as we get into next week. In other words, instead of having a lot of um, uh, ups and downs, a lot of uh, kinks in the, uh, in the, the upper air pattern in the, in the jet stream, it's more flatter. It's more flat. There may be a little uh, push up, of, you know, even like a place like uh, Los Angeles will get to warming up, little bit of a precipitation up in the Pacific Northwest over the weekend, but again, it looks like even they're going to take a little bit of a break, thank goodness, as we get into uh, this first uh, part of next week uh, from storminess, which is really good news for them.
1: Yeah, you're right. It does look like there will be a break. Could get a lot of rain, though, as this system that's going to cross the country moves in. It's going to have high snow levels. So it's obviously a really deep snowpack, could melt a little bit of that and cause some flooding. But yeah, like you said, it doesn't look like we'll have excessive amounts of precipitation. And we're losing a lot of blocking. Like you alluded to with the zonal flow setting up, the green the blocking is going to be weaker. Uh, we have a lot of blocking in northern Canada to help instigate this very cold air mass in the south. And it uh, looks like uh, that will be uh, replaced by a uh, troughing in Canada. So uh, we get the ridge uh, to build over the U.S., so it does look like a more zonal flow, um, and at least that gets us into the uh, end of February, and then beyond that, might have some issues, but...
0: <laughs> so, right, and let's it's talk about that, because we, we really do, and we just had Mr. Pasolok on a couple of weeks ago talking about the spring forecast. You can go back a couple of episodes and look at that, but, I mean, there is going to be, in our estimation here at AccuWeather, a hangover of winter into the first few weeks of spring. Um, so, again, this is... You know, it's it's crazy because there's going to be some pushes of Arctic air, even though it retreats here as we get into early next week. But then more of a spring pattern with uh, the, some of the spring type precipitation events on top of that could be kind of some interesting weeks here, late February into early March. Is that what the long range team is still thinking?
1: Yeah, uh, even though we're not going to see as much blocking in the northern latitudes on our side of the globe uh, next week, uh, there will be some in in Europe and over into um, like Siberia. So I think some of that's going to work around and uh, we're going to set blocking up again. This go around the main blocking might be a little further east. It's like Greenland eastward towards Scandinavia. So if we get more Arctic air. It might be bad news for the Northeast because I think it's going to be more directed east this time. But chances are it's anywhere near the magnitude of what we saw. It's low. Plus, the Pacific pattern isn't set up right. We don't have a big, ridge building into Alaska that we see that's going to help really drag all of Siberia's air into this pattern like we saw with the um, Texas or the Southern Plains outbreak. So it looks like we will get some cold shots in March. Probably not super extreme, but enough to... I keep it cold and snowy it looks like for the start of march
0: quick explanation when uh, he's saying blocking what he means is that the pattern instead of allowing systems to go freely from west to east that there's a, a something in in a spot where those the progression of that pattern gets blocked from going eastward and that's where then you get things going places that aren't Necessarily meant to go, and that would be like cold air pushing down or storms ramping up. So that's kind of what we we say or mean when we talk about blocking. Before I let you go, you are one of our best and most trained, I think, snow measurers in this office, and you do a really <laughs> good job. Um, it's not an easy task, so uh, let's just spend one to two minutes. So when you got a snow event, you've got a board, right, where you. Mm-hmm keep taking fresh measurements every hour or a couple of hours there, right? Is that how that works?
1: Yeah. So um, I have the snowboard set up in the backyard away from trees. Um, and I just lay it like we I have a deep snow cover. So I just put it on top of that snow cover and I'll measure it every six hours. I try to do it at uh, the 12Z and 18Z, which are important in the uh, meteorological world, but basically in any six hour increment. So I'll take the measurement and then clean the board off. And then let it pile up, let it continue to snow on top of it for another six hours and take another measurement and add them up. But meanwhile, when you get a snowfall, it'll compress some. So uh, that that means your your snowfall will be a little bit higher than your actual snow depth. But that's the official way uh, to measure the uh, the snow as it falls. You can't if you brush the board every hour, you'll get an artificially high number because the snow does compress some right. as it falls. Um, and I also have a gauge where I can measure the liquid. Uh, it has a little canister that collects the um, collects the snow, take and it inside, melts melt it, right, down and, then and see how we get much the- liquids in it.
0: Yeah, and that's important, and and yeah. some of the so, so you'll hear us talk about snowfall amount, and then meteorological geeky people will say, well, what's the liquid equivalent? And yeah, that's where we've been seeing, and especially in all this cold air, some of these amazing snowfall rates that it doesn't take much to kind of get an inch or so of snow, especially when it's just. Constantly flaking. Yeah, that, so. That's
1: one of the hardest things for us to figure out. Like, we know there's going to be a couple of tenths of an inch of liquid, but is it going to you know, fall as 20 to 1 ratios, which means you could get 20 inches of snow for one inch of a liquid, or is it going to be snow mixed with sleet when you're getting uh, three inches of sleet and to one inch of liquid? It's very, that's one of the most difficult things we have to deal with. And by measuring the liquid, I, I like to get an idea of how the models are doing uh, with storms. At least in state college, I usually seem to overdo the liquid. I can't say that's the case everywhere, but it seems like up here, they like to overdo our show a little
0: bit. Well, uh, Dave, I appreciate everything uh, you do for us here at AccuWeather and appreciate you being with us here on Everything Under the Sun.
1: Well, Dean, thanks for having me. Uh, always uh, happy to talk about this, talking about the weather. That, that's That's my jam, so I enjoy it. So be
0: listening for Dave. You can hear him on the mornings filling in for me on, on some of the days that I'm off on our great radio stations like 1010 Winds, WBC, WBBM, WWJ, et cetera. And then also uh, you can read him many times on AccuWeather.com and uh, certainly uh, benefit from uh, all this hard work. Uh, congratulations again on his ACE award and congratulations to all of our AccuWeather team. I'm telling you that uh, it, it's been a Real challenge, as I've been alluding to this last couple of weeks, but it's also been a, a great blessing to work with this team of folks who just really put a lot of time and effort into trying to make sure that uh, you get the best information And please make sure that you're doing that here as we go through the next several days as that storm continues to come up along the eastern seaboard Friday into Saturday. And then we have some other systems to watch as well. We'll be back next week with episode 12 of our winter series. And we'll certainly be letting you know all the information you need on our other great podcasts. So check those out as well at accuweather.com slash podcasts. Also, uh, just also a quick reminder that we're soliciting questions for our first Q&A session with the 3Ds. Danielle, Dave, and Dean will answer your questions and hopefully give you some answers as we get into the spring series at some point early on there. So again, if you have a meteorological question you want to ask, We'll try to explain it and break it down for you. Uh, you can send all of that and any other feedback to accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. For our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, and for the hundreds of team members at accuweather.com working so hard every day, 365, to keep you weatherproofed and ready and able to take on the day weather-wise for all of them. And myself, Dean DeVore, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week for Episode 12 of the Winter Series of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com.
3: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers.